let the young people slip out the back. This time for Children's Church, the rest of us can be opening our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 7. I appreciate the last verse of that song, Take My Will and Make It Thine, because we're going to talk about God's will in our lives a little today as part of this study in Ecclesiastes. Let me just uh, mention to you, um, we started a new series on Wednesday nights that I'm teaching through on biblical worldview. We had our first Wednesday this last week, and uh, so uh, if you want to jump in on that on Wednesday nights, we're, we really had some, some great discussion and some, some wonderful time as we jumped into a worldview, biblical worldview study, and uh, you know, everybody has a worldview. But as Christians, our desire should be to have a biblical worldview. And so that's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights, and we look forward to continuing that study. We're in Ecclesiastes 7. Now, we've been out of Ecclesiastes for a couple weeks because of Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But we're back in Ecclesiastes today, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, we want to jump right in here. Now, let's just give you a little bit of a reminder. As chapter 6 ended, as we came to the end of chapter 6, we, we saw Solomon at quite possibly his his lowest point I mean he he just was concerned that everything about his life was vain his entire life was empty uh, he was full of despair and, uh, and and just very discouraged at the end of chapter six and uh, yet he still hasn't learned the lesson of where that that joy that happiness um, that fulfillment in life comes from because he's still struggling with it. And, and so then as we jump into chapter 7, he begins to express himself in some Proverbs. And, uh, and, and it's, it's just it's interesting because Solomon is just still struggling through uh, some of these things, and, and, and he's just very frustrated at this point. And, and yet in his frustration and what he says about life in his frustration we can learn lessons from that for us today. And so let's look at uh, the first few verses in chapter 7. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to, the, go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So you read those verses, and, and, and some of those things you would say, yeah, that makes sense. And then some of those things you're like, really, Solomon? I don't get it. You know? And uh, so let's just kind of take this apart. And, and point number one today is contrasting life and death. The first thing he says is, a good name is better than precious ointment. You know what, folks? I would agree with that statement. We all should agree with that statement. Name is important. You know, as my kids grew up, one of the things I tried to express to them that they, is the fact that they represented a family name, our family name, and that they should live lives in such a way that they do well by the family name. Now, as Christians, we possess a name as well the name of Jesus Christ. Christian is little Christ, and that's, what, that's a name that we should be living out in our lives as believers. But a good name is better than precious oil. Matter of fact, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. Now think about that, folks. The, the psalmist says to us, a good name is better than than wealth and lots of it, than good riches. 
it's better to have a good name. And the point is this, a good name has value, has value. Now, I want you to think just for a second, and I'm not going to ask for any kind of raise of hands and answers to this question, but let me just throw this question out here. When somebody hears your name, what do they think? What do they think? When they hear, you know, when, when they hear Ken Biggs, what, what comes to their mind immediately about Ken Biggs? Hopefully it's something good. Hopefully my name has some value to it that something good comes to people's mind. You know what we call this, folks? We call that a reputation. So the question could maybe better be asked, what, what is your reputation? When somebody hears your name, what do they think of? And, and, and see, I, I've tried to in my life, and, and believe me, I'm, I am not great at it, but I've tried to in my life live up to the fact that I am a Christian. When somebody hears Ken Biggs' name, I hope there is some connection back to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope they think to themselves, well, there's a guy who follows the Lord. There's a guy who loves the Lord. There's a guy who, who, who listens to what the Scripture says. I hope and pray that these are the things that get associated with my name. Because a name is important. And, 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 and you know, we all should strive as believers to have that good name. That name that has value. But note the stark contrast immediately that Solomon throws out there. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now remember, Solomon here, he, he's at a low point. He is frustrated because he has just spent, back in those days this wasn't all written, but he just spent six chapters trying to find fulfillment in life and trying to find it everywhere but where he should and so he's discouraged he, he's frustrated and so he just comes up with this idea that the day of death is better than the day of birth and that's a, that's a startling statement now there is some truth to that statement because if you're a child of God the day of death means an eternity spent with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to fear death. But folks, I don't know about you, I don't want to run to death either. <laughs> I mean, just because I don't have to fear it because I know I'll spend eternity with my Savior, I also don't want to run to I enjoy my life here on this earth. Despite the struggles here on this earth, I enjoy life. But from Solomon's painful viewpoint, all of life was vain at this point to him. It was all empty. It was all unfulfilling. And so from his viewpoint, he carries here the idea that there is more joy in death than in birth. Now, as a believer, sometimes we, we, may, we may struggle with that just a little bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul struggled with a little bit. If you turn over Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, For I am in a strait betwixt two having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, I struggle here. He said, I would love to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right now. And, and, and you know, if we look at Paul's life, we can understand why. 
Right? I mean, Paul, Paul lived a life where God was, once his conversion took place, God was first place in his life, and he was persecuted for it. He suffered for it. He was imprisoned for it. And so to Paul, he's saying, man, <laughs> that life on the other side sure looks good right about now. But then he says, but it's more needful for you that I'm here right now. What was Paul's point? Paul's point was, yes, I struggle with this some, but I understand that I have a job to do, that God has called me to a work, and I need to accomplish that work. You know, I, it saddens me. I, I have been in several churches over my life where we've lived different places and stuff. And one of the things that saddens me uh, is as folks grow older, and I'm starting to get older now, and so I, I, I'm praying this never happens to me, but as folks start to get older, they, they consider their work for the Lord done. They just quit doing everything. And they'll come to church and sit in church, but that's all they do. They won't do anything else with their life because they figure, oh, I've done it, let somebody younger do it now, and I'm done. And I, I pray to God that that is never the mentality I get to in my life. I pray to God if I'm not pastoring someday, I hope I pastor to the day I die. I really do. I mean that. I, I've said I, I would love to be preaching when I die. Just preaching in church and die, and then you guys can push me out of the way and get a new preacher in. I'll keep preaching and uh, hopefully preaching the word. But, no, I'm serious. I, I mean, I, I want to be pastoring to the day I die. But if I'm not pastoring at some point and, and just going through life, I hope that, that I, as I get older and continue to get older, that I, I will have the encouragement to keep doing something for the Lord. And uh, because there, there's never a point while we're still alive that we shouldn't realize that I have a job to do. God has called me to something. If God hasn't called me to do something, then he might as well just take me home, right? If, if he didn't have a job for me to do, at the point at which I get saved, he ought to just beam me up to heaven and I'm done because I'm saved. No, but God knows we have a job to do. And uh, each one of us has something unique uh, to do for the Lord, and, and, and so we need to have that encouragement. Spurgeon uh, states this. He says, Consider it spiritually, and, de and dear brethren, what is a good name? A good name is a name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that is better than the sweetest of all ointments. Isn't that true, folks? To have our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is a sweet thing. But in Solomon's mindset, where he was right now in his life, struggling to find fulfillment, he says death is better than life because of life's sorrows. Because of life's sorrows. Try to follow Solomon's illogical reasoning here. He constantly concludes, as he's done in the first six chapters, that life is about eating, drinking, and being merry, right? That's been his conclusion several times. Life is short. Life is going to end. Everybody goes to the same place. Might as well eat, drink, and be merry. He's come to that conclusion several times, but then at the same exact time, he says it's better to die than to live. And so you think, you don't think logically, I mean, really, Solomon is at a point where he, he is not thinking logically because he's saying, eat, drink, and be merry, or I'd rather die. <laughs> That's what his viewpoint is. And, and we look at that and we say, that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because Solomon is trying to live life without God being the focus. And that's the point. His life is never going to make sense as long as God isn't the center or focus of his life. And you know what, folks? It's the same for us. 
Life for us is never going to make sense until God is in his rightful place. You ever heard the expression, you know, I got to get all the puzzle pieces together just right. Well, folks, you can put all the puzzle pieces together forever, but if God isn't the center place in your life where he belongs, the puzzle's never going to make sense. It's never going to add up. It's never going to be right because God is not where he belongs. And that's what Solomon is struggling with. Notice what he says in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Really? It's better to go to, it's better to, go to a funeral than to go somewhere and enjoy a feast? That's what he's saying, the house of mourning. And, and Philip says this, he says, to Solomon, uh, ending the toil and struggle of life and going into obscurity is better than living on the earth. See, Solomon's thinking is there's just too much sorrow, too much struggle on this earth, so I'd much rather go to the house of mourning. I'd much rather go to a funeral. That's his conclusion. Now, folks, I would be a liar if I stood up here today and said, we're never going to struggle in life. Now, there are, there are pastors in this country today that are standing at a pulpit telling you that once you're saved, everything's going to come up roses, it's all going to be great. And, folks, I'm here to tell you, they're lying. They're lying to you because Jesus himself said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. So Jesus told us the truth. He said, you are going to have tribulation. There is going to be difficult times in this world. We sat right this morning and prayed for, what, eight people that are having physical difficult problems right now in this world. We have people that have problems with children in this world where their children don't behave the way they're supposed to behave. We have tr people that have troubles with families where family doesn't get along like they're supposed to. We have people that have troubles with jobs or the job going away or whatever the case may be. We all are going to struggle in this world through, through troubles, folks. They're going to come. But that doesn't mean we just throw up the towel and say, I'd much rather go to, to the house of mourning. It's all vanity. It's all vain. Nothing. It's all empty. So I might as well. I, I, it's better if I hadn't been born. That's where Solomon was in life. And that is a pitiful place to be. It really is. Because our life has value. You know, part of what we talked about in the, in the worldview study on Wednesday night was answering what are the big, what are the big questions of life? You know, what, what are the big questions of life that people look for in whatever religion they choose to follow, whatever worldview they choose to follow? And one of those questions is, why am I here? Why am I here? Why, why does Ken Biggs exist? Well, folks, I'll be very honest with you. The Bible is very clear about why I'm here. I am here to glorify God. That's why I was created. That's why you were created. That's why all of us were created. We were created after the image of God, and God gave us a soul, and he breathed into us the breath of life, and the purpose of all of that was to bring glory to God. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's why I'm here. I'm here to glorify God. So if I'm here to glorify God, I can't live life like I wish I was dead. Because that's not going to bring much glory to God. Somebody that's not a Christian comes up to me and says, Hey, Ken Biggs, how are you today? I just wish I was dead. <laughs> not going to get very far with a testimony, am I? My, uh, let me tell you about the Lord. By the way, I wish I was dead. <laughs> no, right? I mean, that, that, that's preposterous. 
It would be ridiculous for me to act that way. But when we take Solomon's mindset, that's exactly how we act. It's exactly how we act. It'd be better if I didn't even existed. It'd be better if it was all over. It'd be better if I wasn't here. You know, we get that woe is me thing. Where my purpose is to glorify God. And folks, I'll be honest. I'm like everybody. I get discouraged sometimes. You know, sometimes, sometimes things are just discouraging. And sometimes you get discouraged, but I pray in my discouragement, I never get to the point where I think, I just wish I was dead. I pray it never happens. But I know for some people it does happen. People struggle with this all the time. And the struggle often is the same struggle that Solomon had, and that's that Solomon didn't focus on a relationship with God. He focused on everything else that was around him. Oh my goodness, folks. If we focus on everything that's around us, have you seen the price of gas this week? Have you looked at the bottom of your grocery bill this week? Have you gone to see the doctor and got the bill from the doctor this week? I mean, if we focus on what is around us, have you seen the turmoil in society this week? I mean, if, we fo if that's where our focus is, folks, we are going to live life most miserable. We really are. Because those things are depressing. I filled up my truck with gas this week, and uh, my, my excursion has a 40-gallon gas tank. <laughs> so when you fill it, folks, you know you filled it. <laughs> because you're standing there at the pump for a long time, watching numbers just keep spinning and spinning. And, uh, you know, we, and, and I called Joyce, and I said, did you see how the price of gas has jumped this week? And uh, because it's so, it's so frustrating, and it's so discouraging. And so if we focus on all this, we're not going to find fulfillment in life that Solomon is missing as well. We have to focus on God. Verse number three. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. I love what Phillips in his commentary said about this. He said, he said this, he says, this way of thinking about life is warped. <laughs> that was his direct quote. <laughs> his direct quote. This way, it's just, it's warped to think that, that, that sorrow is better than laughter, you know? And it's just, we just, this is just Solomon just struggling here. Now, here's the question. And why is Solomon struggling with this? And I'll tell you why. Because he's looking for the wrong thing. See, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I looking for happiness or am I looking for joy? And you say, well, those are the same things. No, they're not. They're very, very different. Happiness is based on my circumstances. So if I wake up in the morning and my tire is flat on my truck, I'm not happy that day. It's not happy. I don't go out there, woo, yippee, flat tire to deal with today. I'm so excited. No, we don't do that. Or where the lawnmower doesn't start. Or the kids are acting up. Yay, my kids are being brats today. Yay. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not happy about that, right? The circumstances of life determine our happiness. But joy is something different. Joy comes from the Lord, not our circumstances. 
1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what's he talking about? He's talking about somebody struggling. Somebody that's going through things that don't make them happy. He says, if be for a season, you've got to really struggle through this stuff. Whom, verse 8, having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with what? Joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, the circumstances of life can steal your happiness. But God gives joy unspeakable, and you're going to get to spend eternity with him. That's the difference. See, for Solomon, because he's living a life apart from God, separate of God, not focused on God, he is looking to be happy, and he's not finding happiness. Listen, folks. There are many days I look at the news and I am not happy. I'm just being flat. I am not, I do not like what is going on in our world today and in our country today. I'm not happy about it. But I can still have joy in my heart. I can still be a joyful person because of the love of God that's been given to me. Solomon's struggling here. He's struggling with the difference between life and death and where he feels like happiness will come from. Let's move to point number two this morning, grappling with the seriousness of life. Notice what he says, verse 5. He said, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Now, he makes a good point here. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise, to have somebody rebuke you, reprove you, and you grow from it, than for a man to hear the song of a fool, a foolish man. And then he gives, gives us an example, an interesting example. He says, for as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool, this also is vanity. Now, you've got to understand back in those days how they burned things. They usually used animal dung to burn. It burned for a long time and it burned quietly. But Solomon here says, in this passage, he says the laughter of the fool is like crackling thorns under the pot. He says it's like getting together a bunch of pine needles that are dry as a bone and putting them under the pot, and when you light it, what does it do? Well, it burns fast, but boy, it burns fast, right? And it's gone, and it makes all kinds of noise while it's, while it's burning, right? It's crackling all over the place. And he says, he says, this is what the fool is like. He blows up, makes a big noise, and then he's gone. That's the life of the fool. And that's what Solomon's saying. He's trying to give us an example from what they would have understood in their day of an example of how things are burned to understand that you don't want something that just blows up, burns fast, makes lots of noise, and is gone. You want something that's going to burn for a while to warm and heat whatever you're trying to heat. And so Solomon says, this is what a fool's song is like. Uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, in their commentary, they say godly reproof offends the flesh but benefits the spirit. Godly reproof offends the flesh 
but benefits the spirit. Listen, nobody likes to be reproved. But in all honesty, sometimes when we walk out of church and our toes have been stomped on by the sermon, isn't that good? Shouldn't that happen? Shouldn't we walk out of service sometimes thinking, man, it was like the pastor was in my house today. I wasn't, by the way. But it was like, you know, it seems like the pastor was, I mean, he knew exactly what's going on in our family. And I don't know, maybe my kids told him or something. I don't know. You know, right? But the pastor, because you get up and you preach the word and the word has impact and it ought to step on our toes. It's reproof. It's not me reproving you. It's the Holy Spirit at work in your heart reproving you through the preaching of the word. But... There is benefit to that for our spirit, for our soul. There's benefit to that. But just the fool just cracking jokes, making noise, not much benefit there. And so we need to understand that. The sudden end of the fool. And he says what? This also is vanity. It's empty. The foolishness of the fool's song is empty. Let's continue on. Notice what he says. He says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Now, we got to understand a couple of terms here. Uh, first of all, Solomon says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. He, he, remember earlier on, Solomon was fussing about the oppressed, like, like he was oppressed. I mean, we know Solomon was not oppressed. He had everything at his fingertips that he wanted and more, but yet he, he remember he had this part along the way a few couple chapters ago where he was talking about the oppressed, and he says oppression makes a man mad. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, he's saying if somebody that's constantly oppressed, it can make them do things they wouldn't otherwise do. That's what he's saying. It would make them do things they wouldn't. But here's where we got to understand the terminology. The word gift there is not the word we think of as the word gift. He says, and a gift destroyed the heart. The word gift here is a bribe. That's what the word means. And he says, a bribe destroys the heart. In other words, somebody that's oppressed is bribed, given money to get out of the oppression, and they do it in some, some way that's not the way it should be done. And he says, basically, it destroys the heart. It ruins, it ruins the heart. And so Solomon, in, in his view of, of life with, with no eternal focus, Solomon draws, draws this conclusion that the end is better than living through it. Notice what he says in verse uh, number 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So Solomon's still struggling through these things, living life under the sun. And he says in verse 9, Be not hasty in spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he basically says, listen, in this life lived under the sun, there are times that you're going to be drawn to anger. And he says, basically, living under the sun with anger is living the life of a fool. And so he's struggling with the contrast of life and death. He's struggling with the seriousness of life. And then number three today, the clarity of wisdom. The clarity of wisdom. Let's look at what he says in verse 10. He says, say not thou... What is the cause that the former days were better than these? Okay, so this, is, this hits home with us a lot of times because people all the time say, oh, I long for what? The good old days, right? I, I mean, come on, how many have said that at some point in their life? Okay, yeah, I've said it too. We long for the good old days. So I began to think about that. I went back to my college days and began to think about that. So I'm thinking about my college days, let's see. I would have to drive uh, 15 and a half hours from Illinois to Virginia for college. 
with, with no navigation at all, no Garmin, no nothing, a paper map. Um, let's see, uh, if I wanted to call my parents along the way and let them know that I hadn't died yet on the trip, I would have to go to a payphone and punch in about 5,000 numbers in the payphone to get access to call my parents and tell them that I was still alive and still making my way from Illinois to Virginia. And then when I got to my dorm room, if I ever wanted to call home, I had to keep looking out my dorm room door at the payphone in the hall while there was a line of guys at it waiting for the payphone to suddenly be empty and then sprint down the hall, right, to grab the phone and, and make the call I was trying to make to my parents at home, punching in again another 5,000 numbers to get a hold of them. Those were not good old days, folks, but we always fantasize about the good old days. And Solomon says, don't fantasize about the good old days because they weren't that good. And, and you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot, a lot of wisdom there. But going, you know, going back to the good old days, Clark says this. He says, in former days, men were wicked as they are now, and religion was unfashionable as it is now. God also is the same now as he was then, as just, as merciful, and as ready to help. Listen, we should learn from the old days. We should learn from what's taking place. We should learn lessons for life from the old days and use them to prepare us for the days of he ahead. I love what Wearsby says about this, and, and it's so, so true. He says what this means, he says it means that we must live today in the will of God and not be paralyzed by yesterday or hypnotized by tomorrow. That's a good quote, folks. Because a lot of people are paralyzed because of their past. I can't do anything for the Lord because I, I didn't live a good life when I was younger. So what? Neither did the rest of us. <laughs> we're all sinners saved by grace. And you may have lived a terrible life when you were younger, and I may have lived a terrible life when I'm younger, but now that I'm ready to serve the Lord, guess what? God wants me to serve him. But how many people are paralyzed because of the past? I can't do it because of somebody said this to me back here. Somebody said this about me back here. I did this back here. I, I was involved in this back here, and so I can't serve the Lord anymore. That's baloney, folks. But we get paralyzed by the past. But sometimes, folks, we get hypnotized by tomorrow. We have big plans. You ever have big plans? And they get messed up? Yeah. I remember five years ago, Joyce and I were supposed to go on an anniversary cruise for our anniversary. And then she started having problems with her leg. And then COVID hit. And each time I'd reschedule the cruise, I rescheduled it once, had to cancel it. Then COVID hit. After COVID kind of slowed down, tried to reschedule again. Uh, there, and it was back, I've, I can't remember the exact order of things, but there was leg, COVID, leg. Anyway, we're five years later, and my plans still haven't happened. Why? Because we sometimes are just stuck being hypnotized with the future, with the big plans that we have, and nothing ever comes to fruition with them. I remember, I have a dear friend, and bless his heart, he's a, he's a dear friend. But, but for years and years and years, they were, they were in one of these uh, pyramid scheme company things, you know, where if you make it a certain thing, they buy you a car. If you reach a certain thing, they buy you this. And if you reach a, you know, and, and I mean, 20, 25, I guess we're almost 30 years later, 
None of it's happened. None of it. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any of that stuff. But, but he was convinced in the future down the road there was going to be all this stuff. And so what happens sometimes, folks, is we get hypnotized by the future so we don't get anything done in the present. Folks, we live here and now. We need to live life now. We need to live inside God's will now, not 20 years down the road and not 20 years in the past. So don't let the past cripple you. Listen, if you had a lousy past and you were not the person you should have been, thank God that he's changed you and move forward. That's what you need to do. You need to leave it. Listen, God promised to leave it behind. He said he's going to separate as far as the east is from the west. So why can't you separate it? So if you lived a terrible life, move beyond it. Do something for the Lord now. But don't fantasize about what's coming 20, 30 years from now. We don't even know if we're going to be here 20, 30 years from now. Let's be honest, folks. The way this world is going, God could come back anytime, and he may. I pray he grants us more time here, but he could come any day. So you don't know that you've got 20, 30 years to lay those big plans out. You've got to live in the here and now. And that's what Solomon is, is, is understanding a little bit. He says, say, say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. What does he say? He says, listen, you can wait for the big inheritance, or you can grasp hold of wisdom now. And he said, grasping hold of wisdom now will actually benefit you more than the great big inheritance. And it's true. Many people live their life, sadly, waiting for the day that somebody that's got some money in their family passes away. So they can get the big inheritance. Or maybe waiting for some big retirement thing. I, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I was watching that, that show from about, I don't know, nine, ten years ago called Hoarders. And one of the ladies on there worked she was some big-time person in some company, and when she left the company, they gave her, I think it was, a million-dollar bonus when she left the company. For her, basically, as a gift for her retirement. They gave her, I think it was a million dollars, and she blew it all, every penny of it. What does that tell us? Just waiting for the big score of money. <laughs> not necessarily going to benefit you as much as wisdom will benefit you. So Solomon's struggling with, with life and death. He's, he's, he's grappling with the seriousness of life. He's understanding there's some clarity in wisdom. There's good in wisdom. So that's a good point Solomon's finally getting. And then number four, and we'll be done today, the wisdom found in God. Oh, now this sounds like a good point finally. The wisdom found in God. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? So right away, Solomon has a brilliant couple of words, and then he ruins it. Consider the work of God, and he's right back to the fatalistic view, but nobody can make anything straight that God's made crooked. So in other words, he's back to that view from a couple chapters ago where basically God's in control of everything. I can't change anything. So trying to change anything in life is vanity. It's vain. And we talk about it then, and we can talk about it now. That's not how we're supposed to live life. Yes, God is in control, but we get to make choices. God has blessed us with the ability of making choices. He did not take that from us. 
We don't become a robot the second we get saved. He left us to make choices in our life. And so Solomon is correct in the first five words of that verse, consider the work of God. We ought to always consider the work of God in our lives. That should be something we definitely consider. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one against the other, so the end that man should find, so, so I'm sorry, to the end that man should find nothing after him. So Solomon's right back into this discouragement. He says, listen, God brings days of prosperity. Yeah, but he couples them with days of adversity, and they're just coupled together, and you don't even know what happens after you die. That's basically paraphrasing what he just said in verse 14. So yeah, there's days of prosperity, but there's days of adversity right after it. And Solomon's right back in to this desperate, discouraged mode that he was in. But listen, folks, we can consider the work of God in our lives. And we should. And we should respond to God's leading in our life. What does God want me to do with my life? Where I am right now, when I'm 60, when I'm 65, when I'm 70, when I'm 18, 19, 20. What does God want me to do with my life? We should consider these things so that we live life in the will of God. Solomon's problem over and over and over in this book is that he is trying to live life not in the will of God. If he would change his focus, put God in his rightful place, it would solve his problems. And folks, it's the same for us. Until we have God in his rightful place and us in our rightful place, nothing's ever going to work the way it should work. Never going to work the way it should work. Because it's like building a building on the wrong foundation. It really is. It's like building a building on the wrong type of foundation. It's not going to work. You can make that structure as pretty as you want it to be. But if the foundation is faulty, the structure is not going to stay together. We're actually going to talk about that in Biblical Worldview. I don't know if we'll make it this Wednesday or the next Wednesday. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about foundation. What is the foundation for a Biblical Worldview? We're going to look into that. But folks, we have a lot we can learn from Solomon today. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of this message. A very simple message from the first half of chapter 7. But Solomon is still struggling, and it's, it's always ends up, the, it's the same struggle over and over again. And, and, and you know, we, we, we've got to understand, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is not smart. But Solomon's doing that. He is, he is doing the same thing. He's, look, he's looking for, for happiness, fulfillment, all these places that are the wrong places, and he keeps looking the wrong places, and they keep coming up empty to him. And we have to ask ourselves, how many times do we do the same thing? Oh, we may not do it as pronounced as, as Solomon did. I mean, his, his story is pretty incredible, being the wealthiest and wisest man on the earth, the most powerful man of his time, and things like that. So he did it in a big way, but... How often do we do the same thing? We're looking for that fulfillment in the job, in the family, in the 401k, in amusement, in entertainment, in, in, in wherever. You plug it in. All the places man tries to find fulfillment apart from God. 
And we'll see that a lot of people struggle with that in the world today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Elizabeth just to play a verse of a song. If the Lord's dealt with you today and you spend time at the altar, the altar's open as we wait just a moment. <laughs>